cutting the salary for city staff. This week, we're recording on Thursday, but by the time this is released Friday at noon, we all might be dead of lead poisoning. Plus, we're going to talk about snow plowing while trying very hard not to talk about the substance that shall not be named. And plagiarism. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 61, and I want to read you a tweet from former Transportation Minister, Albertan Transportation Minister, Brian Mason of the NDP, quote, and I never thought I'd have to piss off hipster a whatever you are besides uninformed, illogical, and ageist, at Troy Pavlik. You poked the bear. Uh, Did I ever? Uh, (laughs) So, um, Brian Mason We had, in fact, an entire episode had a title dedicated to him, something about cash cow, and I think there was a cud pun somewhere in there. I remember. Yeah, um, because Brian Mason was on a tirade against photo radar. He tweeted at Rick McIver, uh, I believe the house leader of the UCP, City of Edmonton added again with the photo radar truck in front of a playground zone. And I'm like, hey, my dude, it's okay to slow down in front of parks. I ran a poll on my... uh, Twitter after, you know, Brian Mason, he called me several adjectives. Which adjective best describes Troy? Is it uninformed, illogical, ageist, or hipster? And with 70% of the vote, hipster is the correct answer. Nice. Um, So there you go. It is a hipster and a 30-something former tech now journalist dude doing a podcast in a room. On to the rapid fire. A new version of a Monopoly-esque game featuring Edmonton landmarks is now for sale. Edmontonopoly features all the rules you know and hate about Monopoly and combines them with sun columnist tier jokes like, quote, don't get stuck paying a $75 parking ticket or $200 property tax payment. Zany. The game, which builds itself as, quote, a fun game celebrating the oil capital of Canada, Seriously, that's printed on the box directly under the title, is available at the Tamarack Walmart Supercenter. It was developed, presumably, by boomers for boomers, the only remaining demographic for whom the idea of playing a boring, extremely dragged out game in which you win by being the first person to make a lucky real estate bet while everyone else suffers and slowly concentrates all their wealth in the rich until only a single person at the board has slowly avoided bankruptcy and homelessness. I guess it's fun to watch society crumble, so long as it's a nostalgia trip, recapping your life thus far. I like Monopoly. (laughs) Okay, boomer. (laughs) The historic GWG building, which has recently been redeveloped into a community bulletin board for postings about why the downtown market is closed, has a new piece of paper on the front explaining why the downtown market is, again, closed. The latest reason blames further permit issues, this time regarding the sprinkler system. As winter rolls in and outside markets are no longer an option, vendors are expressing their dissatisfaction with the handling of the situation, with one vendor telling us, quote, if we'd be permitted, I would really like to have at least a sprinkling of opening days this year. With cuts on the table and the current budget adjustment, city leaders are worried about the possible consequences of public safety if policing isn't properly funded. In a police debrief, EPS staff presented the potential problems a 0% tax increase might have to police funding. This led to confusion from the hungry beat officers as they stared at the round number on the spreadsheet and wondered why donuts could be a cause for concern. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. This episode is brought to you by the TELUS World of Science Edmonton, home of the Canadian debut of Marvel Universe of Superheroes. 
I think we're just a week away from Disney+. Plus. The exhibition runs until February 17th. Edmonton is the first and so far only Canadian city to host it. The exhibition features more than 300 artifacts, costumes, props, and interactive elements that bring the Marvel Universe to life. And if you didn't know, 28... And if you didn't know, 2019 marks the 80th anniversary of Marvel. You can learn all about it and buy your tickets today at tellusworldofscienceedmonton.ca. Far less than a week. Uh, I don't know why you wouldn't think I'd know that on November 12th, there you go. High School Musical, the musical, the TV show, airs on Disney+. And I'm sure Disney needs the advertising of my podcast, but come to my house and watch it with me. We're I'm- all in this together. <laughs> I like that a lot. And on that note, let's talk about snow plowing. Oh, joy. Um, it so, is snowy outside, at least. Yeah, it is. And in fact, I had to plow my sidewalk with a shovel. So winter's here, I guess. Um, and part of that is icy conditions. I had already two falls on the ice on my bicycle because the roads were not bare pavement, presumably because we didn't pre-soak them with calcium chloride. Maybe. You'll recall back in October, council had a 7-6 vote to stop using the controversial chemical after the vote was delayed twice. And now they've given us an update. And Andrew Grant, the city's general supervisor of infrastructure and operations, said their plan basically is to plow more. Yeah. I mean, like, there's not much to to say about this. We can't use the non-plow tools, so we got to get to bare pavement. So send out more plows. It's of note that he mentioned, yeah, we can plow more, but if there's ice on the roads, plows don't fix that. Right. Um, and like, if it gets really cold, we're going to like rely on sand, I guess. Well, actually, he told the journal, we'll look at using salt products, mm, which cool. I thought was pretty interesting given the direction from council. Well, the direction from council wasn't to avoid salt products. Um, the direction from council, you'll recall, there was a motion that Cartmel proposed to ban all salt products. That's right. Yeah. Got voted down. And then motion from Councillor Knack, which just said no calcium chloride, that got voted up. So if you're reading between the lines of city administration, that's tacit direction. Please use more salt products because that doesn't cause rust. No, definitely not. I don't know that we have much to say on this other than, hey, city administration did say plowing more and getting to the same level of safety as calcium chloride might have gotten them is like an extra $30 million. And that's, we'll get to later in the episode, exactly how much of a budget cut is causing sort of like catastrophic panic at the city of Edmonton, but it's not a whole bunch more than $30 million. Yeah. So uh, maybe, maybe just maybe this was a bad idea. Or it could be an opportunity for autonomous plows. No, it's a bad idea. Yeah. Um, You'll recall though, uh, in our previous episode, the ERT. Two episodes ago, live episode, uh, I ambushed Andrew Knack with the question, and he is still standing by his decision to not use calcium chloride because he championed that motion a little bit. Hard Um, to walk that back. Yeah. So we will see who was right and who was Knack. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Moving on to a similar topic related to uh, our previous two episodes ago in live, Uh, we were talking about the EEDC and innovation in Edmonton. One of the councillors who wasn't represented on the live panel was Councillor Mike Nickel, and he had some words about the EDC after an audit came out this week. 
That's right. We're in the middle of EDC season, it seems like. We're expecting a series of reports over the next month and a half that bring greater clarity, in theory at least, on things like how EEDC is governed, the relationship between EEDC and Edmonton Global, what we're doing from an innovation point of view. The first so stuff we've been talking about for a year. Yeah. Yeah. Just with more detail, maybe. Or at least more reports. Uh, the first of those came back, and it is the audit. And so the city auditor um, was allowed to look at this by the board of EDC. That's something that had to be approved because they're arm's length. And they focused on uh, a few key areas. One of them uh, I thought off the top was quite interesting was just about general governance. Uh, we heard this at council or at executive executive committee a few weeks ago, a couple months ago, maybe when they were talking about the mandate of EDC. And what the auditor pointed out is that when the organization was formed in 1992, the articles of association had a mandate within them. And they were not touched until March of this year when council decided to come up with a new mandate that is a, a much simpler one, a much shorter one than the previous one. And predictably, the auditor found that this causes a lot of confusion. They're not clear on what the mandate of the organization is. The other thing the audit looked at was about the innovation system. So these are the other parts of EDC and some of their partnerships. So things like Innovate Edmonton, Startup Edmonton, Tech Edmonton. And it found that... Um, EDC basically doesn't have a good clarity on the roles and responsibilities of those parts of the organization. And it also doesn't have clear objectives, or at least those objectives have changed multiple times over the last year and a half, and they don't really have a good way to measure them. So, I mean, all things considered, given the uh, fraud that EDC fell victim to a little while ago, the EDC or the audit wasn't that bad. It could have been a lot worse, mm -hmm. um, but it does make it official that people don't really know what they do. It's very easy to blame EEDC for this. From where I'm sitting, this is all council's fault because EEDC is an organization that exists, you know, to develop the economic prosperity of Edmonton. It's the Edmonton Economic Development Corporation. It's name's pretty self-explanatory, but over the years, we've given them Northlands as like a thing to manage. We threw an innovation hub at EEDC a couple years ago and then said, oh, wait, EEDC, what's this stupid innovation hub idea you came up with? So there's been a lot of council throwing things at the EEDC because it's a catch-all organization to yeah. just do whatever council wants. And then saying, well, why are you doing that? Uh, you asked us to, council. I think that's a fair point. I definitely agree that council created a lot of the trouble that EDC now finds itself and in. in fact, the big confusion between EEDC and Edmonton Global. That's purely council. <laughs> just don't invent Edmonton Global then. But I don't know that EEDC has done itself a lot of favors throughout this whole process either. Um, and so, you know, they're not completely without blame. But you're right. Council needs to take a bit more ownership of this. And I've tweeted this at them before. Like, come on, guys, step up. You created this mess in the first place. Councillor Nickel, of course, predictably, has been in the media talking about this ahead of um, audit committee discussing this on Friday. Oh, I thought he, you were going to say ahead of his mayoral run. Oh, maybe. Yeah. He is saying the value proposition, you know, what is the value proposition for, for EDE? He's still using the old name for it, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, you know, he says it ties into technology, but we need more clarity here. The one thing he said that I thought was, was quite interesting was if there was ever a time for this arm to be functioning at its peak capacity, it should be right now because we've got to get to talk about growing the pie, not just cutting it up all the time. Okay. Yeah. Which, you know. It's a very nickel thing to say. It's a very nickel thing to say. It's also somewhat timely, given what we're going to talk about next with the budget issues from the from the province. But it also feels like kind of grafting a different issue onto EEDC. Like, they're not the only organization responsible for growing the pie. 
surely council and the city have some role to play there. What he's sort of getting at in the question is like, it's your responsibility to innovate and like to grow our economy in new ways. Diversification is a word many people like yeah. to use. But is that the EEDC's mandate anymore? What what about Edmonton Global? Like, sure, the EEDC does some of that, but is it the EEDC's responsibility to come up with all of this innovation and to grow the pie? And like Iveson has said several times in the past couple of weeks that, you know, cities in the province are responsible for so much of our innovation and growth. Right. And the province needs to appreciate how much value the cities are bringing to the table. Right. Are we as a city saying this is all coming from the EEDC? Like you are responsible for growing all this innovation that is passed up to the province? I think like there's a lot of weight being put on this admittedly puny organization's shoulder. The EEDC is not a big organization. And you'll recall the last budget round when it was a tough budget. The EEDC asked for a budget cut because they're like, we want to be good fiscal stewards. Yep. So I do sense a little bit of hypocrisy and a bit of irony coming from council who they're getting passed down a real bad budget cut from the UCP and it's not great for cities. And they're saying, oh, what do we do with all of this? We've been so good in the past. We've been sharing the brunt of the provincial. We've took a cut of 42% off MSI to be, you know, sharing in the pain. Meanwhile, EEDC, the last budget when Edmonton was struggling, they shared in the pain. Yeah. And they're a punching bag for council right now. So perhaps this is because I'm a contrarian and everyone's hitting on the EDC now, but I feel a little bit for them. <laughs> I feel like some of some of the hits absolutely justified. Yeah. I don't know. I think they've done pretty well for themselves overall with a confusing mandate with misaligned directions from council. I think they managed okay. I will, I, I guess, say to be fair to council... The update to the mandate is probably the right thing to do, right? The mandate that was created in 1992 isn't relevant anymore now that they've created Edmonton Global, as you say. The internet didn't exist back then. Exactly. So, well, the web didn't exist. Okay. Anyway, that's probably the right thing to do, but it sounds like maybe they got poor advice about how to do it because clearly their attempt in March has failed and people don't know what that mandate should be and where the official mandate exists and it obviously hasn't been communicated well outside of shareholder meetings so really i mean i we talk about this a lot and slipped my mind i didn't really remember that there was an update to the mandate in terms of all the other things that's been happening with edc and edmonton global and various other organizations so audit committee will look at this on friday um i'm not sure that great deal will come out of this because there are, as I mentioned earlier, some additional reports coming back, but we will see and we'll keep you informed. Also keeping you informed is Global News, who did a nationwide expose on lead. (laughs) Yes. Um, And I say informed a little bit tongue in cheek because I don't know. (sighs) I struggle because this is investigative journalism. It's a nationwide expose. They said they had like hundreds of journalists working on this across 120 the journalists from nine universities and 10 media organizations, including McEwen, the Star, Global News and Concordia. So I'm going to be very careful not to disparage investigative journalism because this is something long form investigative journalism. Very good thing. I'm glad that we have that in this country. However, are we all going to die of lead poisoning? No. Okay, cool. Uh, (laughs) So there was an 
expose, maybe not the right word. There was a large report from Global News and they basically went, they did a bunch of FOIP requests. They did a bunch of independent testing. They had huge swaths of people doing research. And essentially most municipalities in the country had more lead in their water than is allowable by Health Canada. Yeah. For Edmonton, they found levels in Edmonton houses exceeding the current federal safety guidelines of five parts per billion every year since 2008. Which it should be noted that the federal safety guideline has recently been updated in half. It used to be 10 parts per billion. It's now five. I believe that change was made about a year and a half ago. Very recently. That sounds bad. But is it bad? Right. One, they didn't say exactly to what extent the uh, the problem existed. So they said, while most fell below the guideline, the highest results included a reading of 594 parts per billion in 2008, 241 in 2014, 428 in 2017. Right. Um, so that sounds really bad. But Epcor is not responsible for the pipes in your house. So if you have your house plumbed with lead pipes, your water is going to be filled with lead. And those are just the highest results, right? These aren't averages or medians or... It's just the maximum. Right. So there's a house in Edmonton that has lead pipes. Okay. It's got lead in its water. Shocker. And that's the thing. It doesn't tell us which house that is. It doesn't tell us where it's located. It doesn't tell us anything about like medians or averages. So the natural response to this is to panic. And you shouldn't panic because Epcor says that it estimates there's about 4,500 houses that have private lead lines and another 23,000 in Edmonton that exceed estimated guidelines because of lead plumbing or fixtures. So you you can still buy taps and pipes that have lead in them. Uh, you can go to Home Depot right now and buy lead containing fixtures, which I would argue is probably the bigger takeaway that everyone should be panicking about is like sending letters to Home Depot about this. <laughs> um, well, don't do your own piping, probably. When Epcor is redoing service lines, they do the main trunk service lines. They replace all the water. That's their responsibility. But once it enters onto your property, that's your responsibility. So houses built 1908 earlier, right? they will have lead lines that are hooking up to Epcor's a service trunk and it's like if that's made of lead it's your responsibility as the homeowner to fix it and do it. it otherwise you have lead and if you do have those lead service lines epcor sends you a letter every year and says hey lead's bad for you please upgrade this here's a hotline number you can call for more information hmm. i did not know that i yeah because i've been over i've actually seen one of those letters from someone who lives in a house and do you know what they do they don't upgrade their lead pipes. <laughs> Presumably that's a cost they're not willing to bear. Yeah, and it's it's not cheap. Uh, yeah. You're looking at, depending on your house and the orientation, it's like 15, 20 grand. Plumbing, digging up your yard, yeah. running new pipes, that's not a cheap endeavor. So they just drink a lot of bottled water. It's also, though, not a source for mass fear and hysteria. No, it's not. You're not going to die. No one's going to die. Edmonton still has incredibly safe drinking water. Don't go out and buy a bunch of Nestle water and climate emergency all over the city with your plastic bottles. If you have concerns about this, call Epcor and they will tell you and they'll even like test your water for you and make sure. Yeah, you're you're kosher. If you do have lead fixtures, they're very willing to help you to guide you. They won't pay for it, but there's tons of city available resources of interesting note right here. They said Epcor is going to be developing a new solution. It's a special type of chemical that when run through the water, it essentially 
puts a coating on lead piping to prevent it from further leaching or whatever leaching, osmosisizing maybe uh lead into the water that's that's the word for water moving across the i think so yeah. i took yeah. science 10 uh so these are all solutions um but the only real solution to this problem is people who have lead in their houses need to replace their pipes and to be clear epcor has not paid us they don't even know we're talking about this but this is a public service announcement from yeah. troy also privatizing our drainage infrastructure to Epcor was a really bad idea and I don't think we should have done it. <laughs> so take that Epcor. You're not going to get only good press from Troy. The main takeaway of this is just like, don't panic. I really appreciated the expose yeah. because it was a lot of information. It was written clearly to get clicks though. We're going to move on to the big issue of the week, which is a guest column from our mayor in the Edmonton Sun mm. um, about the budget. Yeah, so he published a column, and, and I did change the URL, edmontonjournal.com, and it works. But it still says Edmonton Sun on it, so it makes me think he really wanted Edmonton Sun readers to know his thoughts on the budget. <laughs> he basically wrote that council should not raise property taxes next year to cover provincial cutbacks. He said, we already understood this was a period of restraint when we built our four-year budget, and that hasn't changed. He did talk about, um, you know, needing to make some cuts and absorbing the impact of the the cuts that the province has made. He suggested it might mean reduced hours at rec centers or closing some old facilities or, uh, and this one's interesting, an indefinite delay to the Lewis Farms Recreation Center. Knack cringes. Um, but, you know, basically he's saying we're not going to pass this on to residents of Edmonton. We're going to try to absorb these cuts and, I guess, do more of our part to be a good provincial citizen. Yeah. I don't know how Iveson wins politically in this regard. Cause like he raised taxes, he loses because the UCP is going to spend that as look at Edmonton doesn't have their fiscal house in order, raising taxes again. Right. He doesn't raise taxes and then it's a service cut. And He's got to cut things. Yeah. Yeah. Why isn't my rec center open? Can we manage the city properly? Iveson? I would say politically, these cuts were designed specifically to have municipalities bear the grossly large burden of it. And you can tell because the education assessment was raised. You'll recall way back at the start of the year when your property tax assessments were being developed, the city is like, well, how much is education going to cost this year? And the government wouldn't release a budget or tell municipalities. So municipalities had to estimate. And then when the budget came out, the province said, oh, yeah, actually about this. You got to collect an extra like 0.8%. So said he just had to raise that tax unilaterally because the province told them they had to. So again, this is another case of the province is downloading the vitriol of the cuts onto cities. I think that's very tactful politically. Not great for our cities. I think it is the right political move for Iveson, though, because, you know, in theory, at least, the city is already thinking about cuts. We've had this program and service review going for a while now, and we're due an update on that, I think. And he's previously talked about trying to find efficiencies and things like that. So it seems like a better message coming from him to say that we're going to have to make some cuts of our own. The other thing he wrote in the column that I thought was was pretty interesting, it will also mean a continued drive for movement on our largest cost pressure, wages and benefits for city staff, which have been generous and cannot continue to grow in comparison to other public and private sector wages, he said. That was a line. So that's a line in the sand. Yeah, it's a shot across the bow. Whatever metaphor you want to use, that's Iveson saying union negotiations are not going to go well for the city. Um, 
it's weird, right? It's very bold, I thought, compared to the rest of the column, which, you know, okay, they're not going to raise taxes. That's probably going to make Edmonton Sound Raiders happy. Might have to cut a few things. No big deal. We're already cutting. Then this one comes out. This line comes across and you're like, wow, that's a bit different. And it seems off brand for Iveson. No, I mean, like he did come up. He's not like a bleeding heart NDP or oranging all over the place, but he went up through campus politics is like a pretty leftist candidate was a young guy, progressive. Unions seem to be something that he generally aligned with. It was a weird shot across the bow because that's a very conservative approach to bargain union salaries in public like that. And I mean, he's not bargaining in public yet, and he is not the sole arbitrator on these contract negotiations, but he's the mayor of the city. Like what he says matters and it has influence. And I thought that was very weird and off brand for him to do. I think the only way that it might be a little bit more on brand is if he's specifically talking about wages and benefits for senior city staff, because you'll recall that the unions themselves feel like the management, the the director levels of, of the staff at the city, which are not part of the union, has ballooned beyond what it should be, and that there's opportunity to save money by cutting positions in the senior staff that, that aren't members of the union. And so perhaps Iveson is aligning himself with that argument. There's no detail here on who he meant when he said city staff. So it remains to be seen, but that could be a way that it's back more on brand for Iveson. So there were more budget debates going on this week. I don't feel like we need to delve too far into them because it was setting up motions. Uh, the primary debate on the budget is going to happen on December 11th. That's when all the information, all the reports are ready and council can choose what they're funding, what they're not funding. So we'll cover that more as we get closer to December 11th and follow up a bit more there. That gives us enough time to move on to our slow burn segment, which moves at about 30 kilometers an hour. Uh, It's the Metro line without a signaling system. Slow burn. The city posted an article this week, actually today, on the TransformingEdmonton.ca site talking about the new signaling system that is taking shape for the Metro line. And they talked about the work that they're doing to bring this online right away. Right, Troy? Yeah. So what they're saying is that they've contracted Alstrom, which is a French company, to install a fixed block signaling system for the LRT. That's the type of LRT where it basically says there are blocks... Whereas if a train is in there, no other train can be in there. This contrasts with what the Metro line was supposed to be, which is a moving block where each train has a buffer of a few hundred meters and it uses radio communication to say, hey, trains, no coming in my little buffer zone. Yeah. This one, it's a bit simpler in terms of implementation, but it's less flexible in terms of rapid trains. You can't have as many trains in one zone. The city does say it's found a way to tighten up train spacing using this technology so they can share the same tracks with the Capitol Line downtown, but they don't give any detail on that. Yeah, and in fact, when we look back at what the city staff were saying, the first target for the Metro Line was, I believe it was five-minute frequency. That was achievable with fixed block anyway. Yeah. The reason we went with the moving block technology was because down the line, when we want more frequent trains, the two-minute frequency, that's not possible with fixed block. And we don't have details of whether they've found a way to make that possible or if they're just saying, we're going to get the first implementation out. I'm leading towards the ladder there. But 
They say it's going to take a year a for year. Alstrom to complete this work. We talked about this a year ago, actually. Mm-hmm. And at the time... It was three months. Three months. That the city staff was saying, hey, yeah, we can develop an o- our own system from scratch using the old technology. And we can have it done and ready in three months. And we thought that was pretty amazing. We thought if that's the case, why didn't they just do it all along? Yeah. And now we're realizing that, well, they couldn't. Yeah. And this also isn't free. I did say Alstrom several times and I'm not fixing it in post. The company is called Alstom. It's got no R. Um so sorry, Alstom, but maybe be our signaling contractor for five years and I'll learn how to say your name. Like I learned <laughs> to say Thales and not Thales. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we terminated our contract with Thales, which was a $55 million contract. We had already paid Thales $33 million and the city's suing to recoup that. Right. Meanwhile, we're paying Alstom $30 million to do this backup signaling system. Hmm. So this isn't cheap. Um, it's definitely not free to do this, um, but hey, maybe in a year, the Metro line will be working. Real question is, which is working first, the Metro line or the Valley line? Definitely Metro line. Okay. I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with Metro line. Okay. Uh, that's a, that's a good bet. Um, it's going to cost more though. If my math is correct, we don't get anything back from Thales. We're out an extra 10, $12 million. Is that right? You're right. Yeah. That's, that is how math works. Speaking of how things work, uh, contract litigation is a thing. And we're going to talk briefly about Power 92. Uh, They play today's best music. Now show me the money. Or is that Power 107? This is fascinating to me. We uh, reported on this in the media roundup a number of times. But earlier this year, Hot 107 rebranded to Power 107. And at the time that that took place, it was like, wow, that's really bold. Like, is, did they get bought by Chorus or something? Like, is this the same company? But no, different company, exact same branding. Like same black and white boxy logo. Yep, same phrase that pays. All of the things that you remember from your childhood, at least my childhood. Uh, and and so it's a bit surprising that it took this long, but now they're being sued. So mm-hmm. Chorus basically sued Harvard, Harvard Broadcasting, which is the parent company of Power 107, and said... You know, they brazenly copied the brands, marks, slogans, and advertising materials. And they did. Of course. And you're like, yeah, they totally did. And they said it's done so in an attempt to increase listenership and advertising revenues for its struggling radio station. Which, absolutely. Like, you don't make the phrase that pays unless you want people to listen. Yeah. So, like, I read that litigation. I'm like, yeah, of course has got a point. There's literally no defense for this. I was like, how are they going to get out of this one? This is, they're in trouble. And then they posted a defense. Days later, a 58-page defense. So it makes me think they might have had it prepared. I don't know. Maybe lawyers work quickly. And, they don't. <laughs> and and they basically said that Goodwill in a radio station attaches it to its current name, logo, slogans, and most importantly, associated music format, and said long-defunct, discarded, and unused names have no residual Goodwill. And they pointed out that there are lots of other radio stations that have the power branding, and that worse than that, chorus let the trademark for this lapse that's real damning like i'm on board power 107's got a point this has been a roller coaster of emotions because every time someone says something i'm like that's true yeah it's (laughs) it's like the gif of ryan from the office just pointing yeah i'm not i'm with that guy right there so i don't know how this is gonna play out but i really want it to uh because it's very exciting we have a lot of radio stations in Edmonton. They change formats very frequently. I don't know how this is going to play out either, but... I mean, probably what's going to happen is Power 107 is going to win the lawsuit because 
really solid statement of claim. And then four months later, they're going to rebrand <laughs> probably to the Chuck because the Chuck will have rebranded to something else. And then the Chuck will sue them. That's just how radio stations work. That is what happens. You can find out what happens with this in the media roundup, which comes out every Monday. Yeah. Um, and radio stations fund themselves with ads like our podcast does as well. And our second ad is for the ECF the Well Endowed Podcast is a production of the Edmonton Community Foundation, and it's hosted by Andrew Paul and Elizabeth Bonkink, produced by Lisa Pruden, of course. These names, you ever listen to like The Daily and just when Michael Barbaro is just like saying the names in the credits, you're like, I know those names. Yeah, it's familiar hearing those names. It is. Uh, 99% Invisible also did that recently, except one of the producers, uh, she changed her name. So we're like, oh, that's a new name. These producers, again, I will say, Andrew Paul, Elizabeth Bonkink, and produced by Lisa Pruden, none of them have changed their names recently. You get the familiar comfort of hearing those names and knowing that they explore the impact of passionate people who are working to make Edmonton a better and strong, vibrant city to live in. Uh, you can check out episode 57, which features Taproot contributor Chris Chang-Yen Phillips, and he talks about how an iconic local brewery survived prohibition at Edmonton. Uh, you can subscribe at thewellendowedpodcast.com. And as always, go to albertapodcastnetwork.com to figure out where you can listen to all these great podcasts that are involved in the network. We don't have time to go just yet because we've got a new baby in the family. That's true. So very not. Sharon's not pregnant. No, no, this not a real not baby. What, no, no. Yeah. Very quickly on on Chris. Also, uh, as you know, we worked with Let's Find Out in the current season. The final episode is now up. The most Edmonton species. You can check that out at tapperededmonton.ca or Let's Find Out. Um, we also have a new podcast called. That, Spe- that's the baby that's I was talking baby. about. That's the baby. It, it's called Speaking Artistically. Wow, I have influenced the podcasting sphere in Edmonton. We're very excited to be launching Speaking Artistically. It is a podcast that gets into everything you know, about arts, the, the world of local arts in Edmonton. It's a production of Bottom Line Productions. So we're working with Josh and Kate and Katie over there to put the show together. And Taproot Edmonton is happy to publish this and spread the good word about all of the amazing things that are happening in the arts community and keep you informed about all of the controversy as well, because there's no shortage of that in the world of arts. Yeah, we even talked about it on a politics podcast. So go figure. Um, yeah, you can subscribe to that on tapperededmonton.ca and there'll be links there. You can find out all that information. And wherever you get your podcasts, you can find it. Internet works. Uh, until next week, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking, Speaking Municipally. Municipally.